Content warning. This episode contains references made to violence against animals, police brutality, abuse towards veterans, and white supremacist groups. If these topics are triggering to you, there are timestamps in the episode description for you to skip over these sections. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Pretty good. You like you guys like my Elmer Fudd impression? <laughs> Welcome to Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman. Um, this is a well, welcome to like weird April, I guess, because yeah. um, this is one of two episodes that are just bonkers this month. Um, and you'll have already heard the first one as of as uh, when this drops, but um, basically, I'll just I'll say this again. Um, I originally had two other episodes planned for this month, but then things got screwed up scheduling-wise and other things, and I was just like, oh, I don't want to do those episodes anymore. And so I was like, let's experiment. Let's get weird. Let's let's get bonkers. Uh, what we're turning for um, the third time as of, the, as of this episode airing uh, is Nicholas Cordnier. Chonk, are you ready to get bonkers? S- some might say I'm about to get chonkers. If if you catch my drift, uh, yeah, we're ready. Let's do this. Okay. Jackson's like, oh man, I should not have had him on a third time. I shouldn't have had you on the fourth time, but they'll listen to that in May. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, you know what? Let before we even reveal what this episode is about, I have a question for you, Chonk. Okay. How do you feel about corporate synergy? Uh, I love corporate synergy. I love corporate synergy so much that when I was in a production of, never mind, that was Scissorgy. Never mind. I like corporate synergy. <laughs> I want to know where you were going with this. I was going to say, I love it so much that when I was in a production of the Putnam County Spelling Bee and I was interviewed for the local newspaper, the Rockford Register Star, they asked me what my favorite word I learned from the show was. And I, the word was Scissorgy. That I learned, but I misremembered and thought it was synergy. Who, if you'd be willing to share with the audience, who did you play in Spelling Bee? I was an ensemble member, an un, an ensemble member with added lines that they added illegally. But I was only interviewed for the newspaper as uh, payment because several years earlier, with the same production company, I broke my fingers during a show. So they, as like honoring my dues they let me get interviewed for the newspaper what mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god okay well i also but i, I love too, corporate synergy i too love corporate synergy uh corporate synergy is wonderful we are 
praising the mighty capitalist corporations that monopolize everything and control all art in this world. And let's talk... Oh, God, this might send the wrong missions, but, you, you know, we're talking about our favorite thing again, corporate synergy. Sometimes comics are being published to sell toys. Other times comics are published to promote other things within a company's stable of IPs. Uh-huh, and I and think this might have also been written as a tax write-off. You think so? This From what this... I... from I just Googled corporate synergy, and turns out that there are tax advantages to corporate synergy. Okay, Time Warner, I see... <laughs> I see what you're doing. I see I... what you're doing. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Um, let's talk about corporations for a hot minute. Um... Okay. Time Warner Cable owns Warner Brothers, like the entertainment, the creative division. And in that stable of IPs that Warner Brothers owns, you have DC, the comics and the characters. You mm -hmm. have the Looney Tunes and you have Hanna-Barbera cartoons and characters. And, and that's it. Nothing else. And that's it. Uh, we don't want to talk about another thing. Harry Potter. Hey, shut up. <laughs> um... But yeah, so uh, it, there was a weird point of time in the late 2010s where I assume one of the higher-ups was like, hey, we got to find a way to incorporate these other properties we own into our comic division. Um, I have notes here. Um, I, I, I want to I read part of my notes here. Um, okay. Space Jam 2 before Space Jam 2 is what I said. Maybe a little. Maybe a little, because you've got Looney Tunes, you've got Hanna-Barbera, and you've got DC characters all interacting. Yeah, so you're, you're starting to see, you know, all of their IPs come together. Because this was, this was what? I think the year of, or the year before Ready Player One? Because, uh, 2017. Yeah, I think Ready Player One came out in 20, 2018. Yeah. So yeah, they. this is when companies were starting to do this. This was like, when it was still like, oh... What a what a crazy thing that makes me feel emotion for all these things. And mm -hmm. instead of now where it's like, oh, every company does this. I am so numb to corporate synergy and properties interacting with each other. Yep. I watched that Disney Plus Simpsons special where Homer met all the other characters on Disney Plus. I have I have not. It's so. Bad. I I only watch the Conan Simpsons. I'm just teasing. That's not even true. Uh, I only watched Simpsons season two. <laughs> I, I only watched I only watched the Troy McClure episodes. <laughs> um, but yeah. So in 2017 um, and 2018, kind of, DC began publishing like Looney Tunes comics in their own separate continuity, and also introduced a line called Hanna Barbera Beyond which featured, like, insanely weird interpretations of classic Hanna-Barbera cartoons and characters. Um, so you have that weird... You have that weird Simpsons... No, I'm sorry. You have that weird Flintstones comic that everyone's been talking about and, recently. And, the, and it's the... Uh, there's the Scooby-Doo one, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, the Flintstones one is, like, people are... Some people call it woke Flintstones. Yeah. But it's, it's very much, like... That society of bedrock basically evolving even further and like things like the element of marriage get introduced and it 
contrasts with the common view at the time of polygamy and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. It's it's satire, but uh, yeah, I think it's very interesting. It also gets very existential from what I've heard. That's what I've heard as well, because I'm somewhat familiar with it. Yeah, and then I think one that you and I both really love concept-wise is Scooby Apocalypse. Yeah, the Scooby one. Scooby-Doo characters in a crazy-ass apocalypse, and yep. it's fun. I um, love when they grittify Scooby-Doo. It's my you're, favorite. You're a big Scooby-Doo fan. <laughs> yeah, I kind of am. I kind of love Scooby-Doo. You love Because um, one of the first like conversations we ever had was about Mystery Incorporated. The, the TV show? The yeah, cartoon? the TV show. Huh. Uh, that's when I... Like, we had known each other for, like, a couple of years at that point, but... Yeah. Then you were like, oh, I'm watching this crazy thing. It's Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, because we were... That wasn't one of our first conversations. No, we had been like, friends for several years, it but... It was years later, but that was where, like, oh, I get this guy. And I made you... Because I remember we were at... We were, like, on a school trip together, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and I, I made everyone in the hotel watch Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated with me. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, the, not the weirdest thing that happened that trip, but we don't have nope. time to talk about that. <laughs> um, and then there, there were also a couple others. There was um, Re Wacky Raceland, which was uh, Mad Max, but with uh, the characters of of the Wacky Races franchise. Okay. And then you also have my favorite, which I just read this week. Um, uh, Chonk, are you familiar with the pink lion known as Snagglepuss? I, I know the name. Yes. So, they published a six-issue miniseries about Snagglepuss called Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, which okay. basically reimagines um, Snagglepuss as a Tennessee Williams-type figure in the 1950s. Okay. So, the whole thing is he is a... He is a... He, he is a playwright... And he is in a, he is closeted, and he is in a lavender marriage with his leading actress. Okay. And so it deals, like, because he go and then he, it deals stuff with, like, the Stonewall raid, and he gets put on trial for being a suspected communist. Uh -huh. um, it's really good. It's like, this is like a good story about this era, about, like, communism and the House Un-American Activities Committee, um, uh -huh. Arthur Miller, Marilyn Monroe, Joe DiMaggio, and Clint Eastwood are all supporting characters. Oh, okay. And it's got some really great lines, some really great dialogue that you make you kind of forget that this comic is about a pink lion. And I think I think that's a that's a theme that's going to carry over into the stuff we talk about today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because to promote some of these things. DC basically did a couple of cro a bunch of crossovers with between like DC superheroes and supervillains mm -hmm. and characters from the Looney Tunes stable and the Hanna Barbera stable. Mm -hmm. And we are going to look at four of them today. Yep. But there are so many others that got published. Um, some of the other ones that we cannot talk about right now: Daffy Duck meets the Joker, Lobo meets the Roadrunner. Porky Pig meets Lex Luthor. The Banana Splits join the Suicide Squad. Uh, Booster Gold hangs out with the Flintstones. The Super Sons, Robin and Superboy, team up with Dino Mutt and the Blue Falcon. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of these crazy uh, Aquaman and Jabberjaw, the Flash and Speed yep. Buggy, crazy yep. combinations. But we're going to look at four of them, and we're just going to evaluate these because I don't know if you felt this. I think some of these are surprisingly good. I agree. I don't think all of them are good, I think, but I think I, most I have, of them are really, really well done. I think I I have one where I'm like not the biggest fan of it, but mm-hmm. I think all of them present very interesting ideas. Yeah, I think we're on the same page about yeah. that. Yeah, so let's get into it with um, the first one, uh, Batman Elmer Fudd. We should, I think we should save this one for last. We, we should, you want to save this or, one? You wanna, nah, you we can jump right, we can jump right in. Let's jump it. right in. It's on the top of my notes. Yeah. Um, the Batman Elmer Fudd special, colon, play for me um, yeah th- this was released june 2017 written by tom king pencils by lee weeks colors by laverne kinzierski and letters by darren bennett and to talk about this one i think we first have to talk about tom king because tom king is a writer who has come up multiple times on this podcast where um he is a very polarizing writer for a lot of people okay. because Every so often, he will pump out something amazing, something incredible, something that, like, really shows how great of, sto- of a storytelling medium comics can be. And then, the, and then almost every other comic he pushes that he publishes is not great, in my opinion and in the opinion of a lot of people. Because okay. he has written things like Mr. Miracle, which is my favorite comic series of all time. It is this dark... In introspective series that talks about like mental illness and like alienation from your own life and mm-hmm. and it's very interesting but then he pushes out something like his Batman run which a lot of people don't like and it, it famous story beat it culminates in a wedding between Batman and Catwoman where she leaves him at the altar oh yeah yeah I'm yes. familiar with that that yes. plot arc and this is, um, I in a previous episode, I did state that we would be talking about three Tom King comics that I actually find good this year. Um, one of them had to get bumped, so we are not going to be talking about one of them. But this is one of those other ones, because yeah. I really like this story. Yeah, this is probably out of the four we've read. The four we read, my favorite of the four. This is the best one. Yeah, it's really good. I I think, ge- general thing, I think I, I can't believe how good this is. I don't think this has any right to be as good as it is. No, not at all. Because this is a story where Batman teams up with Elmer Fudd. Yep. And... It is a dark neo-noir story. Yes, that that's is, exactly what it is. It It is moody. It opens with this crazy shot of, like, Elmer in the rain walking to a bar with, yep. like, this dramatic narration. But it's, like, in his voice, so it's, like, so it's got the W's instead of, like, it's, the R's and stuff. It's, yep. it's incredible. It is, and it's very reminiscent. Like, neo-noir is the perfect way to describe it, and it's very reminiscent of, like, a Chinatown. 
It like, is, yeah. very reminiscent of those, like, 50s, 60s, 70s, like, noir films. Yeah, let's just jump into it. This book opens with Elmer walking to a bar called Porky's, and inside this bar, we see human versions of a lot of Looney Tunes characters. Yeah, I was about to say, they're not anthropomorphic. They're, Th- they're this humanized. Is the only one, this is the only one that does full like humanization for all these characters yeah uh like the other ones either partially anthropomorphize or full-on anthropomorphize them but this one it's all humans so you get like marvin the martian as this crazy like homeless man talking about like his death ray or something just sitting in a booth you get Mm -hmm. yosemite sam and foghorn leghorn playing cards yep um you get a shout out to my favorite Looney Tunes character, Michigan J. Frog. Yep, yep. Because you get, like, a guy being like, I'm telling you, this frog really sings. This frog can sing his heart out. Yeah. This frog, this frog can sing his heart out. And sitting at the bar, munching on a carrot, is a hitman known only as Bugs the Bunny. Yeah. And the tension between elmer fudd and this humanoid bugs bunny is palpable yeah because i i'm not sure if you set it up top but in this incarnation like elmer fudd is a bounty hunter slash like maybe a, a private eye type character like he's he he's clearly going there to investigate something bugs the bunny has been accused of doing or yeah. he thinks bugs did yeah and like they they have some intense like dialogue mm-hmm. it's like they are just like sitting there talking and they it reincorporates like classic looney tunes phrases like there's that there's that bit where bugs is like hey i guess i took the wrong turn turn in albuquerque and then mm-hmm. elmer's just like you seem to take a lot of wrong turns at albuquerque yeah and i was just like oh my god it's very well done cuz like is- why is this so good? Yeah, because, I mean, they're playing with this idea and there's a bunch of homages to the classic characters, but it's also presented as serious as, like, as serious as a heart attack. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's just very fun to play, you know, for them to be taking it so seriously. It's it's wonderful. It's great. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's it, it isn't flat out said, but Elmer is hunting down the killer of this woman he loved. Yes. Um, we will get to who she is later, but basically he wants to know who hired Bugs to kill her. And mm-hmm. Bugs is like, you want to know? Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. And then so we get my favorite line of this entire book. Um, my name is Elma Flood, Fudd and I'm hunting Playboys. Yeah. And then you get the classic Ain't I a Stinker because Bugs set the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. It's great. And so then Elmer Fudd goes and shoots Bruce Wayne in a public place. Yep, yep. Go like infiltrates one of his you know, galas. Yeah. yeah. At at Wayne Manor and ends up shooting him. Yeah. Leaving him believed to be dead. Yeah. And so he goes back to his apartment and it's revealed that this mystery woman is Silver St. Cloud, who yeah. is this very obscure like bruce wayne love interest from the 80s or 70s i think she was Mm -hmm. like an heiress who i think this is her actual story where she found out bruce wayne's secret identity and left him yeah and 
it's revealed that she and Elmer were in a relationship, mm-hmm. and and she she gets killed, and all that's left is a pile of blood and a carrot. Mm-hmm. Which, holy shit! Yeah, like I I can't explain how wild it is that these are Looney Tunes characters in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it, it's very kind of like shocking, but also plays way better than you'd think. It like it just fits really well in this in this world they've crafted. It fits so well, and like, cause cause then Batman shows up. And mm-hmm. it's an insane fight scene. It's like a really well done fight scene between this short little mongoloid and Batman. And Elmer Fudd is like actually shown as like a somewhat skilled marksman slash fighter. This like book there's ma- this book makes makes Elmer Fudd a badass. It does because there's like the the scene of so you know there's a knock on his door. He goes to open the door. And there's no one in the hallway, but Batman is somehow now behind him. And it's a great panel of, like, he's standing in the hallway with his shotgun over his shoulder. Like, hmm. But Batman's right behind him, and you see the shadows of the two. So, like, you see the shadow of Batman creeping up on him. And then it's revealed that you see his fingers on the trigger. And then he shoots at Batman without looking. Like, it's very, very well done. It's so good. Mm. I, and and they have this fight and they both yep. and it's revealed that Elmer Fudd is like the name Silver St. Cloud is uttered here and Bruce hears this and he's like what do you know about Silver St. Cloud yeah and so they team up and then they go back to Porky's which is this bar mm-hmm. and you get a wild ass fight scene of Batman and Elmer Fudd beating up beating a- up the Looney Tunes rogues gallery or like beating up all these classic Looney Tunes characters. Yeah. Like it's insane. Mm-hmm. It's insane that, that they are like, they are like beating up people like Tweety Bird, the Tasmanian mm-hmm. devil, Marvin, the Martian, Foghorn Leghorn. Like, and like, it's one of those things where like, this is where I think the art kind of gets lost on it because they don't, some of these, like, they don't really add to, like, any defining traits. Because I didn't realize that was Foghorn Leghorn visually until he was being like, I say, I say. Yeah, there's there's a couple like that. And, like, Yosemite Sam doesn't really look like him. Looks like a But biker. you just know it's him because, yeah, he has the two guns. Yeah. And he has, you know, says something reminiscent of the character. Same with, like, Tweety Bird. Doesn't look like Tweety Bird at all. You know, stuff like that. And, and so, it's funny, too, because, like, during this, they're beating these characters up, but they keep referencing the, the classic slogans or catchphrases of these yeah. characters, which is it, also very fun. It's, it's, like, taking itself seriously, but it's poking fun of itself. It's very it's very much like... Uh, like, does this feel like John Wick to you? Because it kind of felt like John Wick to me. A little bit. It, it's I, like I can little, see where you'd get that. Yeah. It's a little John Wicky. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's revealed that um, at the end, like, Silver St. Cloud faked her own death because mm-hmm. she found out Bruce was dangerous. She found out Elmer was dangerous. Yeah. And so she was like, I have to leave. I don't want to, I don't want to be around dangerous people. Like, she's totally like that noir love interest. 
mm-hmm. trope. Yeah, like that femme, like that classic femme fatale. Yes. From like these nineteen fifties, forties noir films, which it's so fun because like it's showing real respect for the genre, which is just really, really well done. Like I can't express enough how how fun this was to read. I can't believe Tom King, who wrote Batman for about three to four years, captured the spirit of Batman better in a comic where he plays second fiddle to Elmer fucking Fudd. Well, and I was about to say, it works really well in that it's not a Batman story. Batman is the, you know, secondary character in this story. Yeah. And I think that works really well. Because if it was a Batman story and you have, you know... If it was a Batman story and you have Elmer Fudd, it would kind of read a little differently, because it would be a, a it would be a, a story set in Batman's world with Elmer Fudd, where this is more of a, a story set in Elmer Fudd's gritty world with Batman as a supporting character. Yeah, because Batman, Alfred, and Silver Saint Cloud are the only three like Batman characters to make an appearance in this. Like it's yep. all Looney Tunes. Yeah. And it, it just works well that they've, like, built this, this like, uh, adjacent world to what we know Batman's world to be like. And I really like the ending, too, where, like, Silver St. Cloud reveals her plan, you know, I must leave, and then leaves. And I, I kind of, I like when Batman kind of, like, lets his guard, not doesn't let his guard down, but, like, kind of shows his, like, not stoic human side. Yeah. Because, you know, Bugs is like carrot juice porky straight up, like ordering a drink. And Elmer Fudd you know, is like, make that too. And then you just see Batman approach them and hold up three fingers and goes three. And then it's, sits down and drinks with them. And it's, it's, it's a very nice character moment. It's so good. Can I read the narration from that exact page? That Yeah. Um, I'm going to do it in an Elmer Fudd voice. But I, because I just need to highlight how good this dialogue is. But how absurd it sounds coming out of Elmer Fudd. Go right ahead. Why does every story have to end? I couldn't tell you. All I know is everything has a season. You just gotta weed the side. Duck season. Wabbit season. Then one day you woke up and you realize the season is yours. What the hell? I know. And then Porky with uh, that's all folks. That's how we end. And the ends the ends the story. Por- Porky is Porky is one of those characters like doesn't translate really well to like a humanoid style because he looks he just very, looks like Porky. He looks very Danny DeVito here. A little bit. At fine. Okay. Final thoughts on this one because we're gonna rabbit fire through all of these. Um, mm-hmm. This one's the best one. This is yeah. We we started with the best one. It's yeah. I'm sorry, but it's all downhill from here. Nothing can top how good Batman meets Elmer Fudd is. I, I think there's a good... I think there's a close second. I also think there's a close second. But it's... And it's probably the same one we're thinking of, but it's, like, close in a different sense. This yeah. works because it's very genre... Like, very genre-driven. Yes. And it, it just... Like, they've just built this very, like, atmospheric world that kind of sucks you in. Absolutely. And I'm also a sucker for noir, so... It's so it's just, atmospheric... It's so noir. Yeah. Um, it's just... I, As you can see, I'm at a loss for words here. Because yeah. we were able to put, like, neo-noir analysis onto a Batman Looney Tunes comic. Yeah. That's how, like, 
absurd this is. Mm-hmm. Okay, Absolutely. So do you want to... I'll, I'll leave this up to you. Do you want to do the second Looney Tunes, or do you want to do one of the Hanna-Barberas first? So let's go into the second Looney Tunes. Yes. Because this is my my least favorite of the ones. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because this is, might you... be my second favorite. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. Um, this one is um, Catwoman meets Tweety and Sylvester in Fine Fit of Feather and Fur. Released yep. August 2018, written by Gail Simone, pencils by Inaki Miranda, colors by Eva De La Cruz, and letters by Taylor Esposito. So that seems like a completely female-led creative team. I believe it is. I might be wrong. Okay. I might be wrong as well. Yeah. But so this one gives us a completely different perspective with the Looney Tunes, because it focuses on... This one, I think, is sort of does the opposite of what Batman Elmer Fudd does. Yeah, it, I agree. Where that, where that one was a Looney Tunes story with DC characters, this is a DC story with Looney Tunes characters. Uh-huh. So we are introduced to, like, this massive cabal of witches. Mm-hmm. And most of these witches are from the DC universe. And specific shout-out to people like Zatanna and Clarion the Witch Boy. Yeah, yep, you see them in the background. See, they're just hanging out. And, like, I don't think all these magical magic users in the DC universe would hang out, but no. this, this comic does. And then these specific three witches, which I did some research, they are from a very obscure horror series called The Witching Hour. That was just, Oh, really? Yes. So it was kind of like a Tales from the Crypt sort of thing where, like... Interesting. They okay. were, like framing device telling scary stories i thought they were um i thought the main witch was the the witch from the hansel and Gretel looney tunes that's episode. what i thought too but it's not that's it's really not. interesting that's very hmm. interesting because these three witches are approached by our looney tunes witch uh witch hazel yep there it is yeah she is she is like that crazy witch who Specifically, I remember her from the Cartoon Network Looney Tunes show adaptation from, like, the early 2010s, if you knew this. Uh. Like, she, in that adaptation, she was, like, a single mother to uh, Gossamer, the big red the big red guy. Yeah. And I just remember her very much despising Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. Because mm-hmm. they were roommates in that show. Jeez. That's where we get uh, Kristen Wiig Lola Bunny. Too. I was about to say the best Lola Bunny. The yes. best Lola, Lola Bunny. I just need to talk about one bit from that very quickly. Okay. There's a bit where Bugs and Lola go to Paris, and then it pans down to, from the shot of the Eiffel Tower to them looking at the Eiffel Tower, and it's a very distant shot. You can only see them, like, very small. And then Kristen Wiig just goes, ooh, Stonehenge. And it's the good. funniest bit in the entire show. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's really good. So these witches are trying to decide what to eat for dinner. Mm-hmm. And they want to put either cats or birds in this stew they're making. Yep. And they settle, They decide to settle it with like a contest. So basically, they team up Sylvester the Cat mm-hmm. with Catwoman... And Tweety Bird with Black Canary. Yeah. And so there's like a, if Sylvester eats Tweety by the stroke of dawn or whatever, the cats win. And if Tweety is able to avoid, the birds win. With the caveat of 
whoever, whichever side loses, all of that species and all like themed characters. Yes, of all that species, people adjacent to those species yes, will die. Yep. So all cats will die, or all birds will die. And I think the one adjective I can describe this this story in is zany, because it, yeah. It's a very zany story because it's it's very goofy and it's kind of like all a it's all a chase. Yeah, it's it's a big chase between Black Canary and Catwoman, with Sylvester and Tweety kind of just riffing the whole time. Yeah, um, we get a we get a couple of weird moments where which I don't think like the artwork really helps because like Sylvester and Tweety in this are portrayed as like a realistic cat and a realistic yeah. bird. Yeah, and. There's a point where Sylvester hits on Selena Kyle, and he's just like a cat. Yeah, it's a, it's a little weird that way. It's a little weird, but it's fun. It knows what it is, and it kind of has fun with it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, this this especially isn't taking itself too seriously. It's not taking itself seriously at all, and I think that comes a lot from the writing of Gail Simone, because she has done a lot of stuff that like can both take itself seriously when it needs to be and also be extremely goofy mm-hmm. um she did uh the secret six which was like a su- somewhat suicide squad adjacent team which was, okay. it was like deadshot uh bane ragdoll scandal savage jeanette these like minor minor characters just goof oh catman catman was there too and he's in this as well yes because the thing is, the witches cast start a bit, actually first. Um, Catwoman and um, Black Canary both call in backup, and so you get other cat-themed characters and other bird-themed bird characters, characters, yeah. characters showing up. So like, uh, Catwoman calls on Catman and Bronze Tiger, and Canary starts out with the Hawks, Hawkman and Hawkwoman. Yep. And then you get more pe- more and more people showing up. Like Wildcat shows up. Uh huh. Cheetah shows up. Cheetah, um, Hawk and Dove. Raven um, shows up at one point. Starfire also shows up. Yeah. For the strangest reason, which I didn't know about in comics. Until yeah, and I I didn't know about this either. Starfire's alien race, like the Tamaranians, are descended from cats. Are like a feline race. Uh huh. Apparent, which makes Teen Titans. And the, the logistics of Teen Titans a lot more, you know, taboo, like, some may say. <laughs> how, I just want to know how that works. Like, like descend, like the evolution chart goes from, like, Cat to Starfire. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, the weirder things have happened. Weirder things have happened, especially in comics. Yeah. But then the witches open, like, a time portal, and you get every cat-themed character going up against every bird-themed character. Yeah, so this is when, like, you see... I'm looking at the panel now. You see Robin. You see... Uh, is that Talon, maybe, in the background? Maybe. You, you see what I'm talking about? Like, mid-left? Yes. Yeah, I think there's even the penguin is there. Oh, good. Down at the very right-hand corner. Hey, Vengeance! Hey, Vengeance! You don't know your Spanish. World's greatest detective. Don't know the difference between L and La. Uh, I, you know, 
I think everything could be improved with the in- inclusion of Colin Farrell's penguin. Just to, yeah, just a quick like if he was in this. If Colin Farrell's penguin was in this, I, you know, maybe this could be your favorite. Yeah, I'm sure it would. It would. It would have a running for my favorite. Hey, hey what am I supposed to do here? Hey, <laughs> hey, don't leave me here. Hey, Mister Venge. Hey, 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 it's me, Oz. <laughs> Hey, take it easy, sweetheart. <laughs> but, yeah, so the portal opens up. And basically the, like, resolution of this is that they're able to... What, what, what do they do? Like, you might be able to expand it a little better than me, but they're able to go through the portal back to the witches, correct? Yeah, basically one of the one of the witches, uh, Clarion the Witch Boy, is like, um, I, know, I know who is causing all of this. Um... I can go take you to them. And all these cat-themed characters and all these bird-themed characters just go beat the shit out of these witches. Yeah. Which I think is very fun. It's a nice little fun ending to it. Yeah. It's very zany. Yeah. Because that is what I think Gail Simone captures in her writing. She is one of my favorite, like, writers in comics Mm -hmm. of all time because of... I think what really helps is she knows comics and she knows like just how seriously to take something because there are things like birds of prey where she can tell a very like intriguing serious story while also having like snappy dialogue and great character interactions Mm -hmm. and then i think her batgirl run is incredible because it very regardless of the you know magically curing Barbara Gordon's disability or whatever, but that is, that was not her decision. She just mm-hmm. was able to write a very good Barbara Gordon story, which was great. Um, it seems to be the basis for the Batgirl movie on HBO Max, which I'm having, which would be great. Mm-hmm. And she can really capture the zaniness of a comic. Yeah, and I think, because there are good character moments, especially yeah. between, like, even, like, you know, Sylvester and Tweety, <laughs> And then, you know, and then, like, especially Black Canary and Catwoman. Yeah, they have some great banner here. Um, there was a nice little little, little scene between Black Canary and Wildcat here, too, because, like, you like in the, the continuity, like, Wildcat trained her. She was, like, like, she looks up to him as, like, a father figure. And you mm. get this sort of thing of, like, what's going on? What, what, what are we doing here? You yeah. Why are we fighting? Because, like, he's, he is great in this, even though he shows up very, like, briefly. Mm-hmm. And you get a fun, you get some fun riffing from Tweety. Tweety sort of just flies around just yeah. saying whatever she wants. Yeah, so that's, like, you do get those good character moments. I think, and you'll find this when we talk about the other ones, too. But I think, like, just me as, like, a non-comic book reader, for the most part, enjoy the more serious, yeah. atmospheric stuff. Yeah. And then, like, the zany stuff just kind of gets... A little beyond me or a little away from me which is probably why this ended up being my least favorite yeah just because it is very it's very zany and it's very like like there's a lot of com like references to comic book lore and such yeah. stuff that i'm not extremely familiar with you but by no get... means is it like bad yeah by any you know by any means you also get my favorite um little tweety riff here where she's being held by catwoman and she's like i think you'll never marry batman and i was just yeah yeah, you were right. You you called it, Tweety. That's hilarious. I, 
I'm still so mad about that. Like, I wasn't even <laughs> reading Batman at the time, but... But you just knew about it. It was one of those things where it's like, the the resolute, the reasoning behind it, too, was bad, because basically, Bane knows, like, Selena's roommate, and her friend or something, and he's just like, you know, you should tell, you should maybe tell Selena that marrying Batman, Batman might be a ba- might be bad for his image, and he doesn't need to be tied down. And then she goes to Selena and basically says the same thing, and Selena's like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't marry this guy." That's that's a reoccurring thing in Catwoman media is yeah. that her roommate is put into some danger, or her roommate is something. Yeah, like in the Batman. And the Dark Knight Rises. God, you're right. Oh, my God. Right? I think Juno Temple plays... Oh, my God. Right? Right? I haven't seen the Dark Knight Rises in years. I'm pretty sure Juno Temple plays Catwoman's roommate in the Dark Knight Rises. I saw the Dark Knight Rises in theaters when I was 13 years old. That would have made me 14 or so. I just remember a trailer for Man of Steel before it, (laughs) and I like Man of Steel. You like okay. You like Man of Steel. I I do like Man of Steel. There are parts of Man, Man of Steel I really like. I think Michael Shannon is wonderful as Zod. I like I like Kevin Costner doing the uh, the GIF. Yeah. Hey. Stop. Stop. <laughs> um, I, I like Man of Steel. Henry that's Cavill's my... fun. Henry, that's I, he he. You know he needed better movies. I think mm-hmm. that's. It's it's my favorite of the Zack Snyder slash that DC universe. Yeah, movies. it's it's probably the best one. Yeah, I agree. I they, think it's it's sort of a downward trajectory. Well, no, because I kind of do like Aquaman a bit a bit more than like Batman v Superman. Yeah, I like Aquaman better than Batman v Superman as well. Aquaman, but like, that's Aquaman's, probably my favorite still. Aquaman is stupid fun, and I like uh, Yaya yeah. as Black Mana. Oh yeah, he's great. He's so good. He's great in everything. He's, he is great in everything. Uh yeah, but that's that's the Catwoman, Black Canary, Tweety Bird, Sylvester. Yeah, it's yeah. So do we want to jump into the uh, Hanna Barbera stuff? I think that's our only option. Yeah. Uh, so first up is uh, the Deathstroke Yogi Bear special, okay. aka Jellystone Dark. Now, um, where where was this ranking for you? Number three, I think. This was number three? This was... I think these two Hanna-Barbera ones sort of go back and forth. Oh, I, really? Okay, so this was also my number three. Okay. But yeah. my number four, my least favorite was the Catwoman Tweety Bird one. So, number, so, your, so the last one is your number two. Yes, that is correct. Very, That's the one okay. that I think is almost as good as the Elmer Fudd one. I, I you know... If I had to rank them based on my personal favorite, I think it might. These two Hanna Barbera ones are sort of tied. Okay. But um, at the bottom, at the bottom of the at the team. bottom, but I, they're still good. It's the, okay. all of these are like good. Yeah, I agree. Like none of them are bad. I I don't think I, any of them. I don't are bad. think any of these have the right to be as good as they are because they're all so unique and so different. Yeah. We get like four very different takes. Which I think is we do, great. which which is interesting because they don't all take the same approach. Yeah, um, so this one it was released October twenty eighteen, written by Frank Thierry, pencils by Max Texiera, uh, colors by Jeremy Cox, and letters by Wes Abbott. And this sort of what this this one 
is a weird hybrid of both the grounded storytelling of DC Comics and the zaniness yep. of a Yogi Bear cartoon. Yep, it, it's like the it, it's the exact middle ground between the Elmore Fudd Batman one and the Catwoman Tweety Bird one that we yes. just read. Absolutely. Because it's at the same time it's like this gritty kind of like I don't know, like DC universe esque, but then you do have the Looney, the, the Hanna Barbera character. Sorry, but they're still you know anthropomorphized, yeah. and they're still their characters. They're not like gritty versions of their characters. Nope. They're just their characters. Um, and you get a great buddy dynamic. Which you do Yogi Bear and Deathstroke. You do. Um, I I just want a quick tangent. Um. Did you ever watch the Yogi Bear theatrical movie? No, with, uh, what's his name? Tom uh, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd voiced Oh, oh Yogi my Bear, God, right? it is Dan Aykroyd. And yeah. it's ju- it's either Justin Timberlake it's or... Justin Timberlake. It's, it's Justin Timberlake. It's Justin Timberlake. Timberlake as, is Boo Boo. I watched I have, it. I have a cousin, and his nickname is Boo Boo. Oh, good. I don't know why, but we call him Boo Boo. Um... That movie is. I don't know about that. I don't. I watched it once. I don't remember liking it. You've watched it more than I have. It's weird. It is. It's a weird. T.J. Miller's in it. T.J. Miller's in the Yogi Bear movie. He is. Oh no. Oh well, boy. But anyway, we can jump into this. Yeah. So it opens in Jellystone, mid like picnic heist. And we get, like, a realistic anthropomorphized yogi. So, like, he's yeah. still him, but he's, like, the size of a full-on grizzly bear. Yes, and he kind of looks like a grizzly bear, but he's got... He talks, and he can, and he, you know, interact and stuff. He's like, hey, I gotta go find boo-boo. Yeah, yeah, he's still doing... Yeah, he's still yogi bear, though. Yeah, and so it's mid-heist. He runs with the picnic baskets back to, like, this cave behind a waterfall. And he sees boo-boo... And Boo Boo's like speaking like weird cryptic messages and disappears. Uh huh. And so Boo Boo is missing. That is like the setup for this. Yeah, that's the inciting incident. We then cut to a bar where these like three cowboy bounty hunter people are debating like uh, who is like the faster animal that they've tried to hunt. Yep. Quick draw. And this is where we start to get into that like kind of noir esque. Yeah. You know, and that, that's where it kind of starts to give me. It's great. Yeah. Um, we they get they they're like, hey, who's faster? Quick draw McGraw or Ricochet Rabbit? And it's mm-hmm. like, like these are characters that I don't really know of from hand. Like they go deep with the deep cuts here. I think. yeah, and because they, they are Hanna Barbera characters, yes, right? They are like, like there's a couple allusions to that. Yeah, they are like the the there's this trio of triplets because. There's the two that sit at the bar, and then the big one that comes in later. Yeah. And so, like, Deathstroke basically walks in, like, cowboy entering a saloon, and he's like, you two are you two are idiots. And You're... this is a great characterization of Deathstroke. Yeah. Like, I really like this characterization of him. He's like, I am a highly trained killer, and you two are being outwitted by a rabbit and a horse. Yeah. And it's also like, because I'm, I'm, I haven't read a Deathstroke comic. But he's not very villainized in this. He's more of that cowboy, That's the bounty th- hunter-esque character, which I, I kind of like. In any other continuity, I don't really like Deathstroke as a character because he is a very, like, 
abusive figure and there are like he has a bunch of kids that didn't end up great because of him mm-hmm. and um but here he's very much like a cowboy mm-hmm. and it's great because he's a highly trained killer yeah who is stuck in this world of cartoons mm-hmm. and we get this incredible bar fight scene yeah deathstroke going up against these triplets and single-handedly taking them all down and it is violent it it actually is yeah like he i believe at one point he shoots off someone's fingers yeah like it's it's actually pretty gritty it's gritty and then he gets he gets approached by a bear in a trench coat being like oh mr wilson uh, I need you to help me my, find my friend Boo Boo. And he tries to like, he's like, "Don't sneak up on me!" And like pushes Yogi against the wall. It's great. and then it's revealed that Yogi's Yogi, like a bear. It's like, and then the rest of the comic is like a lethal weapon type. Yeah, buddy. it's a buddy cop, buddy it's, cop adventure. It's great. It's like, you know what this? It reminds me of the Nice Guys. It kind of a little bit, a little, a little bit. Nice Guys in here. Yeah, and they they make a really interesting dynamic too, because it's like that hard nosed like Deathstroke, super serious Yogi Bear's Yogi Bear, of course. But then I don't know; it just works really well. like they've got good banter. They they met, you know, they, they they're like they juxtapose each other's energy well enough. They banter so well in this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and and this is this works like a lot better than you'd think it would. Yeah, you like get... the the story they tell works really well with the characters. Yeah. And you get my favorite scene, which is um, Deathstroke on his motorcycle with Yogi Bear sort of just climbed on, hugging, just yeah, hugging him behind. Him, just it's because Yogi is a full grizzly bear. Yeah. The, in this in this interpretation. Yeah. So it's just a man and his bear just riding to Jellystone. And then I do like Deathstroke's talking about like how dangerous of a mercenary he is. And he's like, I fought everyone from King Shark to Jabberjaw. And, like, you see him talk about, like, I fought Killer Croc and Wally Gator. Like, so he's talking about the DC villains he's he's fought. And then also the Hanna-Barbera characters. He's also beat up. You it's forgot very funny. the best part of that. From Gorilla, Gorilla Grodd to Grape Ape. Yep. And we find out that Deathstroke straight up murked Grape Ape. <laughs> yeah, just killed Grape Ape. A character that I mostly know from that... Okay, is this going to be too obscure of a pop culture deep cut for you? I'll be honest, Grape Ape is too obscure of a pop culture deep cut. But there were these MetLife insurance ads for the longest time that would play during the Super Bowl where, like, Snoopy and the Peanuts characters and all the Hanna-Barbera characters would all, like, come together. And Grape Ape was there and stood out, like... Amongst the bigger, oh, the biggest of them all. Yeah, I, I'm seeing a screenshot where, of it. That is where I know Grape Ape from. Okay, classic. And like that is probably the most deep cut pop culture reference you're gonna get out of me. Jabber Jaws there as well. I think they all they're all there. Yeah, they probably are. That's Hold funny. On. I can't believe I'm looking up MetLife, MetLife, Hannah, Barbera. <laughs> Yeah, oh, Voltron is also there. I was about to say, I think that's Voltron in the back. Voltron, um, yeah, there's a lot. I think, literally, I think, I think everyone that we discussed today might be in this insurance ad. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. But so, um, 
Deathstroke and Yogi get back to Jellystone, and they find extremely violent animals attacking everyone. Like, yeah. genetically altered animals of the park going feral yep. on, like, the, the humans. And Deathstroke is just killing them. Yeah. Like, shooting them, he cuts off one's, you know, head at one point. It's it's pretty violent. I'm probably going to have to include a content warning for um, violence. For yeah, this violence towards animals. For this episode yep. about Looney Tunes and Hanna-Barbera characters. I know. But so then you get a scene of Ranger Smith or whatever his name is, like, going full, like, lone survivor against these animals. Yeah, that's pretty funny. And he is, like, the third to this trio of, like, yep. crazy dynamics. Because he's all about, like, you, the bear I've been trying to catch. And Deathstroke's just like... Shut up, you Boy Scouts. Sh- shut up. There are bigger things going on here. Yeah. Wait, and then which leads us to the bigger things. Yeah. We find a secret tunnel in in that cave. Secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, we find a secret tunnel in that cave that leads to a facility for, like, the DC terrorist organization, The Hive. Mm-hmm. And they are doing experiments on a bunch of animals, which are all Hanna-Barbera characters. Yep. Including... People like Oggy Doggy and Doggy Daddy, which are mm-hmm. like those two dogs up there. Um, Peter Potamus, who is a full-on realistic hippopotamus in this. <laughs> Mr. Jinx. Um, I think Squidly Diddly is also there. Yep. Yankee Doodle. Yeah. There's, so there's there's a bunch of them. There's a. I think um, there. Quick Draw McGraw is also there as a full-on horse. <laughs> um. And then it's revealed that the agents in charge of this operation are weirdly and creepella gruesome. Yeah, so who are who are these okay, people? I did some deep research. I originally thought that these were the characters known as the gruesome twosome from Wacky Races. They okay. are not. Those are different characters. Okay. Um uh they are minor supporting characters oh my from God. late season Flintstones. Oh, my God. So, like, this is Great Gazoo-era Flintstones. That's so interesting. Where, like, Fred also had two weird, spooky neighbors. Huh. That's that's really interesting that they're, like, bringing... Oh, okay, well, I found a photo of what Creepella actually looks like, and now I recognize her. Yeah. That's interesting that they're bringing in, like, these characters from other... Like, it's not just Yogi Bear characters. Like, they're bringing them all in. Like yeah, random it is characters full on, from like, the they rogues. are full on setting up a shared universe here. Yes. That's oh, so I just funny. I just looked up what they really look like. I know. They do a pretty good job of like modernizing them. Yeah, they do. Like even the full like the big cricket or whatever. Yep. I did not know these characters originally originated from the Flintstones. No, I w- I wouldn't have guessed. But that that's very funny. Speaking of that... wacky races though, you know who I wish we we got in one of these? Ooh. Villain of the 2020 film Scoob, Dick Dastardly. Dick Dastardly is he from Wacky Races? He's from he's from Wacky Races. He is um he and his dog Muttley are like are like the creepy villain team of because that's when they were trying to set up the Scoob cinematic universe. The Scoob because Captain Caveman is also there. Yeah, and then like at the end, I think there's At-Jab- some other people. Jabberjaw and Adamant. Uh, yeah. 
God, did you watch Scoob? Because I no. watched Scoob. No, Scoob I is. Not. It came out like the first week of the pandemic. Oh my God, it did. I, I do remember watching it in quarantine, and being just so baffled that Simon Cowell was there. I know it was like, like the first week of quarantine too. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> so. They end up um, meeting the gruesomes, and this one sort of gets resolved, like, very quickly. Like, they just yeah. release... I should mention that Deathstroke does fight Squidly Diddly, a giant squid, at this point, yep. single-handedly, and cuts off a bunch of tentacles. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they just defeat the gruesomes by, like, releasing all of the animals onto the onto The captured animals, yep. Yeah, the captured animals just... And you get, like, Quick Draw McGraw, the realistic horse, just sort of, like, standing there. Just, like, I'm mm-hmm. a horse. And then it, it's, the, you get two epilogues. You get yes. um, Deathstroke receiving his payment from Yogi, which was everything I own, basically. Yeah. And it's revealed that it's just a bunch of picnic baskets. Picnic. It's just a bunch of food, it's, which is very funny. Deathstroke, Yogi paid Deathstroke in food. It's great. And then you get a, a second epilogue where the gruesomes are like, if we're going to experiment on animals, we'll let them voluntarily come in. And they set up their new front, the Laugh Olympics, which yep. is another obscure Hanna-Barbera deep cut that I, I was about to say that I didn't know about. No. So what, what is the Laugh Olympics? I don't know. Okay, that's okay. Laugh Olympics. Laugh Olympics is a is an American. Um, so, this is where um, what character? Oh, it looks like it's another TV show. It's another Hanna Barbera TV okay, show. Okay, so it's another thing like Wacky Races, where like um, teams from all different Hanna Hanna Barbera um, characters, like properties, would come in. So you, there are like three teams, sort of referencing representing like different Olympic nations. So there's the Scooby Doobies. Yeah. Which include the Scooby Gang, the Blue Falcon, Captain Caveman, um, Speed Buggy, um, and all these other, like, mystery-solving with a couple of teens shows. Yeah. Um, you get the Yogi Yahooies, which is Yogi, Boo Boo, Yaki Doodle, Huckleberry Hound, Quick Draw the McGraw, these, uh, these animal characters, basically. Yeah. And then you get the Really Rottens. Which must, are all, must be all the bad guys. Yeah, they are all the bad guys. So it's like Dick Dastardly, the Daltons, which are the guys that Deathstroke murked in the first scene. Um, the Creepleys. Yeah. Um, so, it, man, they're really, like, cutting deep with all these references. They are. It That's is hilarious. It is, it is insane deep cuts, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts on this one. It's a great buddy story. It is. It is. And the dynamic works really well. It's uh, goofier. And it's very zany, kind of like the other one, yeah. kind of like the Catwoman Black Canary one. But it work, it works well because like th- there are those good buddy buddy cop dynamics yeah. they're showing. I just think like it sort of ends kind of abruptly. But it does. Y- you know, you can you can only expect so much. Um, finally, this is your second favorite. This is my second favorite, and I, I really enjoy it. I do really appreciate this one. Um, this is the Green Lantern Huckleberry Hound special. The Test. Yep. Um, released October 2018, written by Mark Russell, pencils by Rick Lenardi, inks by Dan Green and Andy Parks, and letters by Wes Abbott. 
And so it gives us a different Green Lantern than like Hal Jordan. This is front and center John Stewart. Yes. The probably my one of my favorite Green Lanterns. A fan favorite Green Lantern. He, yes. He's great. Um, and this is set at like the high, like the first time he was ever introduced, which was like mid to late seventies. So I was gonna say, like, is is John Stewart like traditionally? Not traditionally set in the 70s, but this is like when he was introduced. Yes, he was okay. first introduced taking over for Hal Jordan in the 70s. Okay, that makes sense. And like he was very much like a response to like the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement and all okay, these that's... like... Because like I think he spun out of the um, Green Lantern, Green Arrow series, yeah. which was the Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill team up of like... Green, Green Arrow and Green Lantern go around the country fighting social injustice and helping the people who need it. Okay, now that's really interesting that, like, the in- inception of Jon Stewart is tied into the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah. Because this story is Heavily. solely centered around yeah. the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah, and that is also the series where you get um, the reveal that Green arrow sidekick is a heroin addict yeah it deals with a lot of like heavy social issues yeah i have read the entire thing it is one of my favorite comics of that era yes it's so good interesting it uh it is a, it is very much like a because this is where we get early um anti-fascist oliver queen and uh-huh. you get the dynamic of him fucking hating Hal Jordan for being like a space cop basically mm. and a- as the series progresses Hal sort of becomes to realize his privileged position and that oh maybe his way of being a superhero isn't the best way and so mm. for a while he basically retires as Green Lantern and gives the ring to Jon Stewart interesting and we get a Jon Stewart here early in his training and he is presented at the beginning of the issue with like a test to Mm -hmm. not you when to learn when not to use his powers when to use his ring yeah so the test is like you're gonna go to earth and you cannot use your ring at all for like a day yeah or something like that and so he goes to a bar with some of his other vietnam veteran friends and buddies and people he grew up with Mm-hmm. And they're sort of just like commenting on the state of the world, like it is mid Watergate or yep. or his Nixon's one of Nixon's first defenses. Yeah, and it they're very much like, oh fuck this, no one's doing anything to make things right. And then John's like, I'm gonna go see Huckleberry Hound perform. Anyone want to come? Yeah, and then they're like, "No, what the fuck? We're not children." And then you find out that Huckleberry Hound is just an anthropomorphic dog. Yeah, but he's like a stand-up comedian, like a and Lenny, a failed stand-up comedian, like a Lenny Bruce type almost. Yeah, like very a, Lenny Bruce, very like seventies Carlin. Yep, like pushing the envelope a lot. Yeah, and he, but like failed. Yes. Like 20 years past the stardom. Yeah, because he, it's set up like he was big in cartoons and then he moved to like mature stand up stuff. And his idea of like mature pushing the envelope stand up is all Nixon jokes. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's so many Nixon jokes. And you know, I love it. It's great. 
It, it's it. This is an interesting characterization because, like, kind of like less like sort of like Yogi Bear, where it's still the character, like it's this comedian, but it's brought into this kind of gritty world. If that yeah. makes sense. So this one's almost the like the Yogi Bear one and the Elmer Fudd one combined, or like the middle ground of those two. Yeah, this was. Um... This was written, I should mention, this was written by um, the same writer who wrote the Snagglepuss comic that I was telling you about at the okay. beginning. You that makes def- sense. You can feel the social commentary here. Yeah. Mark, Mark, Mark Russell also wrote Fantastic Four Life Story, which I have said that Ooh. this is, it's one of my favorite comics of, like, 2021. Mm-hmm. So you can absolutely tell where this man's niche is. Like, sure. Interesting. Combining extreme social commentary with like the wacky superhero idea lens or like yeah. cartoon lens, basically. And so we get like John and Huckleberry sitting in a bar, and mm-hmm. you get more of their backstory. You get um, that Huckleberry Hound was on like a USO tour, yeah, and basically got dragged off the stage for making too many like overtly political jokes. And was, like, then blacklisted by Nixon. Yeah, basically. And So, hence why his career fell apart. Now he's a washed-up comedian. Absolutely. And then you get John's story. Yeah. Which is incredible. So, like... You find out his brother, correct? Yes. Now, is it his brother, his brother was drafted in the Vietnam War? And then survives and comes back. And then dies in the 1967 Detroit riots. Yeah. Which is, like, really, like, I don't know, just, like, really, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Like, just really deep. Like, a, a very, a very, very somber note, you know, I, topic, plot point that they're talking about. I can't remember if this is part of his characterization. I don't think it is now because of, like, the crazy sliding time scale of the DC universe where, like superheroes appeared on Nebulous 10 years ago. Yeah. But I feel like in his original introduction, this could have been one of, like, an extremely important plot point. Sure, that his brother may have actually died in the Detroit. Okay. And then John gets drafted, and he goes back, and then he comes back and he experiences how awful the vets were treated at the time. Yeah, there's a lot of police brutality. Yeah, a lot of imagery of police brutality in this, especially towards towards John as a black man and a and towards veteran. Yeah, Yeah. towards veterans as well. And you and you get a scene after this of some of a police some police police brutality, where a group of John's group of friends is being assaulted by police, Mm -hmm. and John is like. I can't take this anymore. I have to use the rig. Oh, but before we get to this, oh, yes. there's also, this isn't necessarily like related to the plot, but I, this is a little like, oh, geez. They show Huckleberry Hound's like upbringing and that he was born in the South, like around poor Southerners. Oh, yeah. And this is so strange, but like that he's neighbors with members of the, of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. And there's like some, um, some, oh, what am I, like, you see the Confederate flag and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's it's a little like, oh, are they just, like, being edgy to be edgy? But then there's a good point of, like, 
I was about I was around people who were so dirt poor, and it was really interesting that the powers that be made them made their common enemy those who are even poorer than them, or something like that. It's like a, a really interesting little you know. It's some good social commentary. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting piece of social commentary there. And the, the imagery is just kind of jarring. Just be like, jeez, like, why are we doing this? You get, you get the imagery of, like, his neighbors going around being like, hi, Huckleberry. And then at night they go out to a clan rally and being like, hi, Huckleberry. Yes, yeah. But then what you were saying, like, the kind of the, the climax of yeah. this is... John uses his ring to stop the police violence. Yeah, to stop the police, the instance of police brutality he's witnessing. Yeah. And, and he... Yep, go on. Yeah, and he basically... He is visited by his, like, colleague in the lanterns the next day, and she's like... And he's like, oh, I probably failed the test. You're gonna take my ring now? And she's like, you knew exactly when to use your power. Yeah, and it turns out that the test wasn't... The test was not to not use your power... The test was to know when to break the rules. Exactly. And use, so, like, the test was actually she wanted him to use his power against her best wishes. The or against we, what she said. The more we talk about this one, I think the more it slowly slides up into my favorite. Yeah, I kind of liked it. Like, I thought the story they told was really interesting. It's And, like, really... the, the, this is also something, like, reading this story, I forgot that this is Hanna-Barbera in D.C. Like, it just yeah. came across as, like, a very effective story. I would, um, you still have my D.C. digital login. Would highly recommend the Snagglepuss series. I might have to give it a read. It's really good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, final thoughts on this one. It's great. It's a yeah. really good piece of, like, like, it's a good period piece with, like, superhero action and a talking dog mm-hmm. and some good nixon jokes too it's some really good nixon jokes like if you don't like nixon like we don't this is the comic for you this is the comic for you um <laughs> as we sort of transition into like the ending of the episode i want to pitch something to you okay um, fan any... casting no, well I'm just tease <laughs> um any cartoon are there any cartoon characters you not it doesn't have to be Looney Tunes. It doesn't Ooh. have to be Hanna Barbera. That okay. you would have lo- would like to see get this treatment with like yeah any I... sort any sort of DC character or Marvel character. It can be whatever you want. So I'm not sure about like DC or Marvel. Oh, you know what I think would work is and this may have been done before. And this I was like I didn't think about this before and it just sprung into my head. But I think a Powerpuff Girls. Like Teen Titans Ooh, thing would work really that well. That would be so good. Because I, fe- I feel like, kind of like what they did with Scoob and the Flintstones, that the Powerpuff Girls would translate really well to kind of yeah. like a grittier comic book reincarnation. And then I'm just like, thinking of like you know, yeah. child, you know, superhero teams, the Teen Titans. I, I want to, s- I would, well, because Warner Brothers also owns all the Cartoon Network stuff. So I yeah. think this, this is super like in the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. I think anything Samurai Jack would be oh. would be great. I think. I also think uh, Deathstroke and uh, no, not Deathstroke. I'm sorry, Lex Luthor and Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory would yeah, be fun. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, that's a great. Idea. I also think like Ed, Ed and Eddie 
and I don't know who, but I think Ed, Ed and Eddie would translate well. Who are who are the DC Comics biggest knuckleheads? Let me. Oh, you know it, Ed, Ed and Eddie and Booster Gold. Yes. And, um, yes. Blue and, Beetle and Blue Beetle. Yes. Oh my God. That would work. That would work so well. Um, I had three other ones. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Um, tying more into Marvel here because these properties don't tie. These properties aren't owned by Disney. Well, aren't both owned by Disney, but I I have a soft spot for the um the Jay Ward like very limited like animated cartoons from like the sixties. Okay. So like Rocky and Bullwinkle, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Like, oh sure. Like those old things. I have a couple. I have um Rocky and Bullwinkle Agents of Shield. Okay. Which I think would be very fun because you get um like. Boris and Natasha working for like Hydra. Can I can I pitch you one real quick? That's on the same like adjacent to that that yep. I just thought of. Kim Possible and Black Widow. Oh my God! Yes, would work really like Kim Possible and Ron Stoppable and Black Widow and Hawkeye. Oh my God! I think would, would work so super good. well. Um, God, I'm trying to think of like other. Phineas and Ferb team up with like Miss Marvel and Miles Morales and like the, the champions. That would be fun. I could see that. Um, coming back to the Jay Ward stuff, um, I also had um, Kazar, who is the, this like this caveman from the Savage Land in Marvel, teaming okay. up with George of the Jungle. Yeah, I like that too. Um, shout out to Brendan Fraser. I love <laughs> you're great. Shout out to Brendan Fraser. Um, He's great. And then um, finally for that, I also had Dudley Do Right and Wolverine. Dudley Do Right and Wolverine. Again, shout out to Brendan Fraser. <laughs> I can see it. But I'm trying to think of other like Disney stuff. I'm trying. Marvel owned and I believe still publishes a lot of Conan stuff. Um, Conan O'Brien. No, Conan the Barbarian. Not... <laughs> ah, Conan O'Brien meets Conan the Barbarian. Conan O'Brien the Barbarian. Yes. Conan O'Brien the Barbarian. Um, but this is a very obscure Disney cartoon. Do you remember Dave the Barbarian? I do. Yes. Yes, I think Dave and Conan would be very fun. That'd be funny. Um, because I, I think Nickelodeon could also jump join in on this too. With with what? What do you? Danny Phantom and Dead oh. Man. Danny Phantom and Dead Man from DC. That would work. Ooh. Or like Danny Phantom. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> Cosmo, Wanda, I wish Batman was in my room right now. <laughs> Wait, no, Timmy Turner and Catman. Because Catman was a literal character. On Catman the is Odd a character in the Fairly Odd Parents. That would work. Played by Adam West. Yes. There's There's a bunch of these that would work. I, well, I just love the idea of like cartoons from eras, begone, bygone eras, teaming up with my favorite superheroes. I think it's such a fun concept. Yeah, Chonk, thank you for joining me on this episode. This was very fun. This was very of course, wacky. Jackson. Of course, like I enjoyed. I enjoyed this. I enjoy. I enjoyed these single issues, and especially when they're like. Like these these standalone like genre kind of bending ones. I really I, enjoyed this. This was a very nice introduction. Talk about it. I would recommend the Banana Split Suicide Squad one. Okay, that is also very fun. Um, goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. And uh, remember, that's all, folks.
Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.